Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host today, Inman Narwin, and I use they, them pronouns. Um, today we are talking to a filmmaker about a really beautiful film called To the Trees. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for y'all to hear this conversation. Um, we're going to talk about, a lot about uh, logging and like forest defense and just kind of like extraction industry in general and then just about some like you know cultural or psychological paradigms that we have around resource extraction but first we are a proud member of the channel zero network of anarchist podcasts and here is a jingle from another show on that network the anarchist radio Berlin. From across the pond. So it's the Anarchist Radio Berlin. With audios in English, Spanish and German. And please, don't mention the war. You can find us at channelzeronetwork.com and aradio-berlin.org. And we're back. Hi, um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Could you introduce yourself just with your name, pronouns, and a little bit about your background and what you're here to talk about today? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Eleanor Goldfield, she, her. I'm a queer, creative, radical filmmaker and journalist, and um, I've been doing frontline um I hesitate to say activism. I've been doing frontline actions and uh, journalism since like 2010 together. And before that, I'd been doing um, uh, kind of organizing and community organizing since about 2003 before the second Iraq war. And I'm here today to talk about the my latest offering in the film domain, which is called To the Trees. And it's about forest defense tactics in so-called Northern California, um, and also about our relationship to nature and the necessary shift that that must take for us to have a livable future. Cool. Um, I mean, not cool that a film like this needs to get made, <laughs> but um, cool that that a film like this now exists and can teach people a lot of really awesome things. I highly encourage everyone to go out and watch the movie. It's it's really it's really wonderful. It's really beautiful. But could you kind of give us just like a a recap of the movie? Sure. So yeah, and it's uh, the film's available at to the trees film dot com and um all of my work is also available at artkillingapathy.com. So kind of a a a general overview of the film is that um I went out there to do this is kind of how I, I I work. I I I ask folks if they if they need any support. And I'm ground support, by the way, because I don't do heights. Although I did climb a redwood when I was out there, which was a terrifying experience and I'm never doing it again. Um they're so big. They're ginormous. And I that was like my first that was the first tree I decided to climb because yeah, whatever. Um and it took me 45 minutes. And it's 200 feet up in the air. And I was terrified. And it took me like 15 minutes to get up the courage just to step off the platform. And the the tree sitter, they were like, you just step up. And I'm like, what do you mean just step off? I'm going to die. And they're like, no, you're not. You're going to be fine. I swear. And I'm like, oh, God, this is so terrifying. And they're like, yeah, maybe you are ground support. <laughs> um, ground so support I wanna... is crucial. Ground yes. support is crucial. Yes. And it's very much that's very much me i'm i think i was i was built to like just be grounded i think um so i went out there uh basically saying i would love to help y'all and, and do support and also i'm if it's cool with you i'll bring a camera and i'd love to just hear some of your stories and so folks were cool with that and so there i go traipsing into the woods and uh, it's a beautiful tree village and, you know, the redwood forests, if folks have never seen them, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's like Narnia, you know, the, the forest floor <laughs> is like this plush, uh, it, you know, soft and welcoming space. And then you look up and it's just, like, it, the trees are so tall that you can barely see the crowns. It's just kind of like this green haze above you. Um, 
And so I, I just started talking to folks and uh, talked to a couple of tree sitters, also spoke with somebody who does more of like the the judicial side of things, like trying to uh, get uh, forest or like logging companies in court uh, and how that kind of works with tree sitters. And then I also spoke to indigenous woman, Marnie Atkins, who is a member of the Weot tribe, um, spoke to her a lot about uh, perspectives on, on what's going on in these forests and the, um, the paradigms that are different between her people uh, and the, the colonizers who came. And so uh, that it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it, it like an, um, I call it at the end. I have this, I have this slide that says to the trees, it's a dedication, a call to action, a promise and a militant apology. And I wanted, I wanted folks to feel that, that it's, it's an offering and it's also an invitation uh, not just to act in whatever ways we can, but also to question the way that we think about these beautiful places, whether they be the redwood forests or whether they be the the ecosystems that are outside your front door. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's I feel funny that this is one of my first questions, um, but it was it was one of the pieces of the film that kind of really got it's like always knowing that capitalism uses things for really silly things um but like learning that like the the main use of like redwood trees is to just turn them into like kind of crappy decks is that right yeah yeah it's yeah. uh based on market forces the best use of a redwood tree is decking <laughs> um and and not only that, but redwoods can be 2,000 years old. Uh, yeah. And of course, if you were to chop down a 2,000-year-old tree, which, by the way, there's no law against it mm-hmm. in California or anywhere else uh, in the in the United States. If you were to do that, yes, that deck would last a while. It wouldn't last 2,000 years. It would last a while. But the way that they cut down trees at the rate, because, of course, no one's going to wait 2,000 years, no. Um they cut down these trees in their infancy. So the strong heartwood of the tree mm-hmm. has not had a chance to develop. And so you're cutting down these trees, you know, destroying any future that they might have to rebuild an ecosystem. And you're turning them into a deck that is not even going to last like a decade because yeah. it's just not made of wood that has had a chance to mature. And so you're you're literally destroying burgeoning ecosystems for the sake of a deck that is going to last less than you know uh like the 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 length of a britney spears single um it's just it's it's ridiculous yeah yeah i feel like that's one of the harder things that i struggle with when really thinking about industrial capitalism is like just the it's like the the cost of what it like what it costs to due to the planet versus like what is gotten from that. And it's like, it's, it's, it's not even, it's not even like, Oh, you're going to get something that's like, it's, it's, we cut down this tree and it's going to like last this family, like multi generations, you know, it's like the, it's, it's like a piece of shit that's going to rot and like, in totally. like less than and, a decade. And that's the whole, uh, you know, that's, one of the primary issues with capitalism is that it treats things that are finite like trees and clean air and clean water as if they're infinite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it treats things that are infinite, like ones and zeros on a computer as if they're finite, like, Oh, we don't have the money. Uh, and um, I mean, it's like, I, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Alan Watts who said, that's kind of like saying you don't have enough inches to build a house. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, of course you have more money because you just make it up. It's all a fairy tale. Whereas the things that we can't just make up like a 2000 year old tree or a clean river, you treat as entirely disposable. And that is one of the you know primary issues with the paradigm of capitalism and thereby colonialism, which was the, you know, battering ram of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you could, 
tell us a little bit about like like what are the what are the kind of like life cycles or growth cycles or like um or like logging cycles like in places that are being harvested destroyed whichever word <laughs> uh yeah that that that's that euphemism right oh we're just harvesting mm, no <laughs> um so so the basically the the sh there are several different uh, cycles that, that, that can be used. Uh, I think one of the shortest ones for redwoods is 45 or 50 years. So if you mm -hmm. clear cut and then you, um, and, and redwoods are actually one of the few trees that can sprout like from a stump, like it's, it's, it's self, I can't remember what it's called, self sprouting or, or something. Yeah. Um, and so you have to wait 45 or 50 years. Now, whether they always do that or not is up for debate, especially depending on what they're hoping to get from the products. Mm -hmm. um, but it's 45 or 50 years. Some will will say, oh, we're going to leave this plot for 100 years or whatever. And again, whether that's done or not is is up for debate. And it's also difficult because industrial logging has only been around since like, you know, 120 years or so. So when we talk about the the amount of time you really need to grow these forests, it, it's like we're going back to a time before this was even a conversation because you couldn't possibly tear down the forests that quickly. Yeah. And so it's, we're in this kind of odd liminal space where people are talking about oh, well, we're going to have to let this grow again for 100 years, but 100 years ago, this wasn't even a, a contemplation. And so the the cycles are based on, 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 again, like the market forces. Like, okay, well, at 45 or 50 years, these trees will be ready to be harvested um, and then can be used to, uh, to, to, to do whatever we want with them, you know, truck them off to the sawmill. Um, and that, again, is... It's well, I could I could go off onto so many different tangents, but I'll pause. <laughs> I I do. Uh, we we love tangents. We love rants. Um, <laughs> so this this uh, this wasn't surprising to me, but um, I I've spent like a little bit of time in like the coal fields of West Virginia, and it seems like there's this kind of similar thing in logging where like uh, there's a strong guidance to preserve the like cardboard frame of like what things look like from like a, a road or something you know mm -hmm. so it's like the the devastation like appears a lot less like impactful um i am i'm curious kind of like what what kind of like lengths or strategies like uh like logging companies go to or the state goes to to like like make it seem like nothing all that bad is happening yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you brought up West Virginia because my first documentary was actually about West Virginia. Um, and oh, cool. I I talked a lot about the coal fields and we, I actually did a flight above them because you can't, I mean, to your point, you can't see it from, from the roads. Yeah. Um, and you can only, really only see the, the vast devastation if you're up in a plane mm -hmm. um, or if you have a drone or something like that. But uh yeah. So in 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 California, they call it the visual impact, or mm -hmm. uh, commonly called the beauty screen, and it's this idea that, particularly in Northern California, because Northern California, unlike West Virginia, which is very proud of its coal, North Car <laughs> Northern California doesn't want you to think it's proud of logging. Uh, it wants you to think that it's super proud of the trees, which is really twisted. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, it's like being a serial killer and then being like, I have a human rights organization. Um, but so they will like right before you get to a lot of these, uh, THPs, that's uh, timber harvest plans. You're driving through, for instance, like the Avenue of the Giants, which is part of a Redwood forest, na uh, Redwood National Forest. And it's gorgeous, right? And you would never mm -hmm. think that just a few miles up in the hills, there are these vast bald spots. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, so they want to ensure that that stays the case, right? So you just keep driving and you keep driving up the 101. 
and you just see trees and then the Pacific Ocean is over here and you're like, oh my God, California's amazing. Yeah, um, and it is, but trees. it's right. Uh, but it's being destroyed and you can't see that. And it's very important that you can't see that because the companies that own the this land, because most of it is privately owned um, logging land. And the companies have this, like one of the guys in the film says, this eco groovy uh, PR campaign. Um, mm -hmm. And this facade. And they want you to think that everything is done respectfully and sustainably when, of course, you can't clear cut sustainably. Yeah. Um, so they want to make sure that you can't see it because that would fly in the face of their eco groovy facade. And part <laughs> of that is also that they have a certification, which is called FSC for Forest Stewardship Council uh, certification, which if you've ever been to like a Home Depot or a Lowe's. Oftentimes, FSC wood will be more expensive because yeah. the idea is that it's sustainable. And so you get to feel all good about yourself, you know, like, oh, sweet. I'm yeah, this isn't from a clear cut, but it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the Forge, Forest Stewardship Council, uh, even if it started with with uh, with honorable aims, is a complete it's just a rubber stamp for the logging industry. Um, and there's been a long list of, uh, of, of, of horribleness, including stealing indigenous land, clear cutting old growth forests. And, you know, and yet they have that little FSE stamp. So people think consumers think that this is done sustainably. Um, but of course it's not. And so this is all part of that greenwashing campaign, whether it be the beauty screen or the FSC stamp, it's all part of that push to ensure that the consumer is is uh, remains in the dark and thinks that per particularly Northern California is sustainably harvesting their, in quotes, harvesting these trees and ensuring that they will be around forever. Golly, yeah. And like, do you, it's, I imagine people also kind of like the consumer on the end of like they, you know, they go into Home Depot or they're like hiring a contractor to like build their crappy deck. I'm sure they're like really ecstatic that they have this like are getting this like Redwood deck. Like I feel like the, it's just the name, you know, Redwood. Oh, yeah. It, it sounds so majestic. It sounds <laughs> so like like, wow, this is going to like last me a really long time is 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 that kind of like part of it too? Do you think, or I don't know? Yeah, and I think I think it sounds, uh, you know, like I I I was in bands for years, and people used to talk about the wood that went into their instruments, like, oh, it's a mahogany mm -hmm. neck. Oh, it's a mahogany neck. It's an electric guitar. It, like, doesn't <laughs> matter. And sure, I mean, as as a former audio tech, I can be like, okay, I have heard the difference in okay. acoustic guitars, where you're like, okay, that yes, but. It is also pretty. Twi I mean, mahogany is not um, is not endangered in that sense, mm -hmm. but still, it's pretty twisted to be like, yeah, the best way to use this tree is to turn it into an instrument or a deck uh, or whatever. It's that, like, again, yeah. in capitalism, nothing has inherent value in and of itself. Nobody's mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, an oak tree. That's super cool. Everyone's like, hmm, what can I do with that? It's like, maybe you could just leave it the fuck alone. I don't know. Maybe that could be a thing. But yeah. nothing in capitalism has inherent value in and of itself. So it always has to be twisted and contorted into something. And that carries with it a certain status, right? Like, oh, if you have uh, this deck made out of redwood or if you have that guitar made out of mahogany, it becomes a status symbol. And so that is also part of like the the poisoning that is capitalism psychologically, I feel. Golly, I wish I know this is a recurring theme on the show, but if only our lives were more like those of hobbits. I mean, they just have a party tree and that's a community resource. And they're like, we need a party tree. It needs to be like <laughs> 3,000 years old. And that's that's a party tree. If it's not 3,000 years old, it's not a party tree. Or like I, yeah. the forest on the edge of town that everyone's like too afraid to go into. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and this is actually something that I think is funny, too, that um, that we have so many stories, whether that be through, you know, Lord of the Rings or like when I was growing up, I partially grew up in Sweden. And there are so many stories still today about the forest and its power. And 
I feel like that's also an interesting relationship that we have with the forest is that we, we are a little bit afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And that also that also pushes us into this relationship where, okay, well, I'm going to conquer my fears, right? As opposed to the stories. And there are these stories even in European, uh, like in European cultures that talk about the beauty of the forest and what the forest gives us. But that's also an interesting dynamic between a lot of uh, indigenous uh, stories that I've heard where, yes, there there might be like some being that lives in the forest that you don't want to interact with. But a lot of it is also yeah. about how, oh, my gosh, look at all of the, the 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 beauty and the life that we get from the forest, as opposed to woods are it's terrifying. Don't don't mess with them at all. Just don't go there. <laughs> it's like, but that's also going to dictate how you feel about cutting down a bunch of trees. Yeah, it's wild that fear of the forest we have to destroy the forest it's it, it's a bad mint as much as i love like a story about the dark forest you know like um <laughs> and wish that that was like a more sustainable option the uh, gr- growing and growing a more deep connection to the forest is probably a more sustainable way to go about things um <laughs> did you ever see nausicaa of the valley of the wind yes I yeah do. incredible movie about a toxic forest that will fucking kill everyone who mm-hmm. comes into it because it eventually was like, no humans, you can't, no, I can't take anymore. Here's poison. Don't blame it, really. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, I need like, I need like several thousand years to recuperate from the harm that you've done. Yeah. And eventually I'll be a forest you can come in again. Right. Right. Well, and I think like we talk about that in um, like in mutual aid spaces or in organizing spaces like, okay, if harm has been caused and there there needs to be time to recover and, uh, you know, possibly we can get to the point where we can be in community together with that person who did did the harm. It's like we do that as humans. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's necessary. Right. And uh, that is exactly what ecosystems need to and like the idea of this is also how we 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 fuck it up in terms of the capitalist mentality the idea of like oh we'll just we're we're going to leave that to grow for another 45 years uh before we cut it down again that's not allowing a relationship to recuperate right that is once again treating something um in that like violent way, like the, the violence of ownership versus stewardship, right? Like ownership is a violent relationship. I mean, just look at slavery. Um, but stewardship suggests a, a respect. And I think Mm -hmm. like there's also space for fear there too. Right. Um, I think that, you know, when I was a kid walking through woods, uh, I would feel a little, like uh, maybe a little scared, but I would also feel safe. Like, oh, I'm safe within the woods. So yeah. I think we can, we can carry both of those at once. And I think that sometimes when you have a deep respect for something, there might be a moment where you're like, oh, that's, that's creepy. <laughs> but there's also like this feeling of like, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm safe here. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that carrying multiple, multiple truths at the same time and multiple thoughts is 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 just beneficial but yeah i think that like the the idea of allowing places to recover is is super important while also recognizing that we have a role in that and that's something that uh marnie talks about in and actually uh, one of the tree sitters as well talks about in the film is this idea that the the relationship we need to have with nature is not removing ourselves from nature and I always mm-hmm. think of um, I spoke with 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 somebody who does work in um, in Africa with the Maasai, and she was saying that the Maasai were were removed from their ancestral lands in order to create a conservation park. Mm-hmm. But what happened with the ecosystem when they were removed is the ecosystem started to fall apart because mm-hmm. the Maasai were an integral and had been for thousands of years an integral part of that ecosystem. Yeah. And so it belies that notion that we are somehow outside of ecosystems. No, we are super reliant on them. <laughs> um yeah. and I think that like that that kind of that kind of thinking is is also super important to remember that like you know 
indigenous peoples have used, for instance, wildfires uh, as a way to steward the land because they're, mm-hmm. they're not the wildfires that we see today. They were wildfires yeah. that were able to replenish the soil and the land, uh, get rid of invasives and things like that. So the idea that humans are a part of these ecosystems and that we have to learn those ways of being and rid ourselves of the notion that we can somehow be outside of and other than the ecosystems. I mean, it's like, it's, I feel like it's the same thing with like most struggles out in the world is like, we have the tendency to want to remove ourselves from those things. And it's, it's, it is usually detrimental to those causes um, for us to like, think of ourselves as like outside of everything, which, you know, obviously there's like, there's struggles that we should center specific voices around and that we should like certain people should like not make about themselves but like for the most part we're we we are we are entrenched in all of in all of the things and we have to be an active part of them to fix them totally and i think that that you know the idea of like we should always be a part of these struggles and not make them about ourselves right like the yeah. The the struggle to defend redwoods is not about us. It's just no. that in our in our own space, we can have these conversations about what it means for us humans to be in the struggle. Just like I think, you know, right now, I've been in conversation with uh, several fellow Jews about like what's going on right now and what what we're dealing with as Jews. Mm-hmm. That is not something that I want to put out into the world, like up on, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it takes the focus away from Palestine. Yeah. But within our Jewish community, I think it's an important conversation to have. So it's like, it's that, um, it's that way of being in the struggle. And then if you just like, I think white people need to have conversations with each other about what it means to like, what does Black Lives Matter really mean? And what does dismantling racism really mean? Don't <laughs> do that at a Black Lives Matter protest. OK, <laughs> that is not yeah. the time, but like in our own space and time. Uh, so I think like, again, you can you can hold hold both of those. And I think uh, it's important to. Yeah, yeah, to golly the tangent for a second on that like i don't know i read this article uh yesterday i think about um this it was an interview with this uh palestinian man who um was talking about um was talk like talking about being asked um about like anti-semitism and like his response to it was like like israel is Israel is a state like Israel displaced Jews living as Arabs in Palestine. Like Mm -hmm. Israel is bad for Jewishness and Jewish people. Yes. Like this. And this is like all part of this like colonizing myth. And that's any colonizing myth is like is to create these like others to create Mm -hmm. a side or whatever. I don't know. Um, Yeah, that's so true. Israel is the greatest threat to Jews in the world right now, I think. Um, to Not that I don't want to talk about uh, this stuff more, but to veer back towards the movie, um, I'm curious about the collaboration between like kind of like different, like attacking the problem from different angles. Um, and in the movie, there's kind of this like, there's, I guess, this tri- triple triple pronged approach that is presented as like there's people, you know, on the ground doing stuff in the trees. There's people doing legal work. There's, um, you know, indigenous people doing stewardship, and then there's like people coming in to make uh, movies about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how like all of these things kind of like interact and like help each other. Sure. So it was actually uh, Tom Wheeler who, who works um, at Epic in California, who who said that we exist in an ecosystem with each other, which I liked. Uh, and he was talking about how, and he works on the, the, the sort of legal side and he was talking about why the tree sitters are important. And, I really appreciated that because I think a lot of times we get 
you know, the, the classic saying that like when anarchists meet, we meet in a circle and that's also how we do firing ranges. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, like it's true and not just with anarchists, it's just that my anarchist friend happened to say that. I think it's everybody on the left, regardless of what, if you have a, a, a title for your, um, for your preferred uh, angle. But I think it so often is the case that it's like, no, my tactic is the most important. If you don't want to do my tactic, then you're wrong and you're an asshole and you're standing in the way. And it's like, but not everybody can do the thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like I can't climb. I mean, I can climb a tree, but I won't <laughs> unless yeah. there's like, you know, the floor is lava or some shit. Um, and not a lot of people have the ability to, uh, to get up into the woods, to take that space and time. Um, and a lot of people don't have the expertise to do legal battles. Uh, you know, we need a lot of good lawyers out there. I think the Lakota Law Project taught us that. Look what's happening in Atlanta. Like, you need good lawyers. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And so I think, like, instead of instead of getting on people's cases about tactics, I think it's really important that we recognize, like, whatever your passion is, whatever your expertise or your um, drive is, there is a place and a need for that in our in our movements and when, in whatever struggle. Uh, and so I really appreciated that about the folks that I spoke with is that they all were complementary and understanding of the other people in the struggle and understood that the goal was the same, was to protect these spaces and protect them out of this feeling of love for these mm-hmm. spaces. And I think that's the other thing that's really important is that nobody was doing this for the you know, the, the Instagram likes or because they thought because it paid the most money uh, or because of anything like it was literally like I, because I love these spaces either because I have a strong ancestral connection to them or because I've just fallen in love with them being around them. And so I think that that's the other thing. Uh, and that, that this diversity of tactics is necessary when confronting something so vast and so disgusting as uh, colonialism and capitalism. We have to do whatever we can. And uh, these folks are doing whatever they can. And I think, and and Pat, one of the tree sitters actually talks about this too in the film, like sit wherever you can do whatever you can in the ecosystem that you know, and the ecosystem that you love, like it doesn't have to be in a redwood cool if it is, but Mm -hmm. we don't have to choose the most superlative ecosystem or the most superlative place to do this. Um, All ecosystems are worthy and in need of our collaboration and protection. uh, And again, in whatever ways we can. Yeah. 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 It's really disheartening (laughs) to watch uh, like spaces kind of uh, rip themselves apart in, in like the, in being upset that everyone is not doing like the tactic that they want. Um, and that is something that I've always really appreciated about, especially like, like, uh, forest defense campaigns or like, uh, 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 other kind of like extraction industry defenses. I'm, I can't think of words right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) is like just the recognition that they're, they're do that. We need a lot of different kinds of people to do this work. And, you know, I feel like maybe part of that is like people, uh, may, maybe people having like like gone and gone and done things and then like gotten a lot of legal trouble and being like ah oh, fuck we need lawyers and then like realizing like <laughs> oh lawyers are really cool um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I don't know I that's something I just really appreciate about about those campaigns um yeah I don't maybe this is a funny question if you say like say like I'm some random person or not random, just I'm, I'm a person listening to this podcast who's been like curious about forest defense and doesn't really know where to start or like how to, how to get into that. Like I want to, I want to go, I've never done forest defense and I want to go get involved in um, a forest defense campaign. Um, Either one that's like near me or one that's maybe far away. Um, How, Do you have any advice for for someone like that? Sure. I mean, I think uh, just start digging into uh, folks who have the knowledge that you're interested in. So 
like in um uh in in northern california there's the tree sitters union i think they're on instagram at the tree sitters union um there's also like down around where i am close to appalachia there's appalachians against pipelines uh greenpeace does a lot of like trainings like uh, like climbing trainings and things like that and those are also spaces where you might be able to meet folks uh, that are like-minded um but honestly like in terms of getting started on a campaign like uh, you know in, in the film again uh, they just say just you know i i walked up we walked up and we saw that there was a chainsaw at the bottom of this tree and we're like oh i guess we'll sit in this tree it really <laughs> like and i think people feel like there has to be this, you know, there has to be the the war room where you got all the plans and you got the poster board and you got paper clips and all this. Like, but you don't like you it, like, yes, plan is good. So you have water and shit, but like <laughs> it doesn't have to be this really elaborate uh, campaign to start with. Um, and I, earlier this year, I was in Germany because <clears throat> I was doing a tour of my um, my film about West Virginia coal in the coal regions of Germany. <laughs> and I went to this. Uh, tree village that is absolutely gorgeous and folks were still living there and even though the the campaign had kind of moved on uh and you know i was asking them like okay so what's what's the story here and it was the same thing it was like well we just didn't want them to cut down this forest i mean it really is like that simple yeah. like i think i think yeah. again there there is this um there's kind of this mystique and this you know to to the idea of of frontline defense. And mm -hmm. yes, it, it can build to something where you've got several tree villages or you have, uh, you know, a, a, a resistance camp blocking a pipeline that's also like a food forest. Like, sure, it can become that. Yeah. But you don't need to start with that. You just need to start with yourself and, you know, some comrades and this, again, like this feeling of love for this place that is threatened. Um, and and again, like just looking for looking for organizations or like minded folks, and the the ones that I mentioned are good places to start. Um, but there might, I mean, there are definitely others that I that I don't know of personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, having I guess like having like done or like like witnessed um, campaigns in a lot of different places, I'm I'm curious about this. Um, are are there any kind of like differences that you notice between like um like forest defense campaigns um, here in the United States or like Turtle Island um, versus like in Europe or like any any kind of like other places that you've been either in like terms of like repression tactics or just like how people mm -hmm. organize. So I'd say in terms of the repression tactics, I mean, people in Europe, I can only speak to currently Germany and Sweden, but people were very shocked and uh, disgusted at, you know, what happened to Tortuguita and what mm -hmm. happened um, down in Atlanta Yeah, uh, in terms of facing terrorism charges and RICO charges. And yeah, but there is also, I mean, in Germany earlier this year, the cops brutally beat uh, people who were trying to save a small town, Lutzerat from being destroyed. Um, for an, an open coal, an open, uh, a coal pit mine. Uh, so in terms of like the direct um, pushback, the violence, uh, they're not getting shot, but they are getting the, the shit beat out of them. And so there is absolutely that understanding that, you know, fascism is on the rise across the globe and neither Europe nor the United States have to look very far mm -hmm. in their history or their present really, uh, to, to find ways of emulating the fascist state that they are uh, moving towards. And so <clears throat> in terms of repression, I think it's mostly like the legal battles uh, that are that are the main difference uh, mm -hmm. between the U.S. and Europe, and I think in terms of organizing, I do see a lot of similarities. Uh, basically, because it's the same, it's the same story. It's like people who were like, actually, you know what? No, you can't fucking do that. I'm not going to let you yeah. ruin this. Um, and I do find a little bit of the same <clears throat> problems in terms of organizing. Like, for instance, in northern Sweden, which I think a lot of people don't know that Sweden, Finland, and Norway have indigenous peoples <laughs> uh, yeah. that were then colonized. Um, so the 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 Sami are the the indigenous people of the far north and their ancestral lands. Uh, 
kind of blanket across what is now Norway, uh, Finland, Sweden, and parts of Russia. Mm-hmm. And that's also where a lot of forests are. And yeah. it's up in the Arctic Circle. Uh, and there's a lot of um, still culturally important uh, practices like reindeer herding that happen there that uh, are being disrupted by deforestation <clears throat> and mining. You know, like Sweden announced recently, that, oh, we found lithium in the north. Oh, great. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, no. So you're going to, yeah. Leave um, it there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, don't tell Elon Musk. Um, okay. So, so yeah, there's this, uh, there's a, there's a, a push to protect these spaces, but also this difficulty of like, okay, how do we as non-indigenous, um, uh, non-indigenous people in Sweden make these inroads and the Sami are, uh, historically very reticent of working with Swedes. I don't blame them or Norwegians or what have you um, yeah. because of what's happened in the past. And so it, I, and I noticed that here too, right? Um, it's difficult sometimes for people who are not indigenous to make those connections in indigenous communities. And so I see a lot of that struggle as well. But at the same time, again, like when you are coming at it from this place of, well, I too want to protect this out of love um, and not because I'm looking for some kind of accolade or whatever that yeah. I think that you, you can make those connections and you can make that, that, that struggle collaborative uh, as long as you're coming at it from that space. And, um, and so I do see that happening in places outside of the U S and I, I think it's a rad. Oh yeah. That's really great. Um, This is golly, this is a really weird question, but it might, you know, my brain's always on a tangent. Um, are are there are there like forest defense like influencers is this a thing in like the internet (laughs) in the internet world (laughs) i'm like imagining the person who's like just there for you know like instagram likes or something and i'm like is that is that real so like not like the straight up forest defenders but there's definitely like the sierra club type that are like that's true okay you know so and, and again it's like this kind of it's, it's like this kind of gray area. I'm a big fan of recognizing nuance. It's like this nuanced yeah, space yeah, yeah. where the person cares, uh-huh. but, and like, doesn't want to see it destroyed, but also wants to like virtue signal to people that they care. Totally. Yeah. And that, that gets all gummed up in the whole capitalist shit show. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gummy area. Yeah. And this is, golly, this is, Oh, whatever. I love funny questions. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm curious about this from, you know, I've had my own experiences with different with different organizations, but like, uh, are, is there any kind of like, like, like tension or like problems that you do see between like, I don't like, you know, like on the ground direct action campaigns versus uh, these like larger kind of like uh, NGO or like nonprofit structures like the Sierra Club or Greenpeace. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I, I'm I'm not asking for like a like a sh- like a shit post about about these groups or anything. <laughs> just just like some of the like nuance or like complications that that can come yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, I I think again, like capitalism fucks everything up. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of organizations that I reached out to when I was in California um, and they were at first happy to talk to me. But then when they realized that I was there supporting and speaking to tree sitters who are by definition breaking the law because it's private timber land, <laughs> did not want to speak to me anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's very clearly like whether they personally wanted to or not is not the point. But mm-hmm. as a, as an organization, I think they realized, oh, well, our donors are, you know, I don't know, some rich asshole over here. And if we do that, if we engage with people who are very overtly <laughs> breaking the law, then that's not good for our bottom line. And we need our bottom line in order to keep protecting the forest. So in their mind, yeah. um, they they were doing that so that they could continue to protect the forest. But of course, this creates that splintering that is so useful for the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, In reality, they should be working with the tree sitters. Like you have the ability to work together to protect these spaces. 
But because you have to make sure that you get the foundation money or these rich donors or whatever, you can't. Um, And so I absolutely see that. And I think that's also a global problem because a lot of this does cost money, you know, like rope is not cheap. The, you know, just making sure that people have supplies and food and things like shit costs money. And it's not like tree sitters get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so it is, it is difficult. Um, But I, I tend to, I shouldn't say I, I I don't want to be like prejudiced ahead of time, but I've, I find that I oftentimes am, uh, prejudiced against like a big organization that says we are, you know, protecting the forests. It's like, Mm -hmm. are you, or are (laughs) you, are you doing like forest walks and shit, which is cool. Uh, and like picking up trash, but it's like, that is not, that is not the same thing as like standing between a chainsaw and a tree. Um, and that's not to like say that like, I'm more radical than you. It's just a, a necessary, um, context i think for understanding like again this ecosystem that we're a part Mm -hmm. of like we need more people to be the ones standing in between the chains on the tree and i think we need a few like a fewer few fewer people being the ones you know typing up newsletters about uh you know this forest walk where you can Mm -hmm. plant a sapling or some shit like i just in terms of what we're what what we need uh that's what i would say yeah yeah it's it's weird how similar like the idea of like uh like an ngo or something leading their main thing being like getting donors to lead a for it's like the it's 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 the trap of building like an organization that gets too big and has too many mm-hmm. like too many totally. dependencies on capital with mm-hmm. to like sustain itself it's yeah it's i don't know i think about this i think about this a lot with different projects that i've been a part of and like like, I don't know, I'm part of this, like, community theater group, and I'm like, we can't get too big, or (laughs) it's going to cause huge problems. We can't be too successful, (laughs) or else it all falls apart. Um, But, like, I don't, yeah, I think that would be my biggest thing with, um, with, like, some larger NGOs, is, like, it's, like, cool, if if y'all want to bring, if y'all's thing is, like, bringing in money, that's cool but it seems like it seems like the real problem is organization like that's like um inability to accept a diversity of tactics or mm-hmm. like donors and like things like that to like really look look past like and maybe this is a shit post but like um, <laughs> uh it's like the the idea of like uh you know like wealthy donors who like are like want the experience of like donating to an environmental nonprofit um, and like want that experience of like bringing their kids on the forest walk. This is the (laughs) same thing as getting a like quote heirloom redwood forest timber deck that is sustainably sustainably harvested. Like it's the same thing. Yeah, it it, it is (laughs) like it is very twisted. And of course, like, I think, you know, that's the problem that there's no such thing as money without strings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you have these big donors, and I know this from just other spaces that I've organized, even outside of the environment, like, okay, well, so-and-so is going to give this much money, but then they also want us to build the website this way, or they want us to make sure that the action looks like this. And it's like, but also these people don't know anything about organizing. So then their ideas are shit. And you're like, look, the whole entire campaign is falling apart because you want this sign to say something completely stupid. Like, and it happens all the time, but, uh, and that's why, like, unfortunately we as organizers have to have this balance of like, okay, we need this much money, but if we just get it from, you know, one or two donors, what do they want in return for all of this cash? And it's all there's always going to be something. They're not just going to be like, hey, really happy that we can support you and whatever you're doing. Like, that's never the case. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you it's it, it sucks. But yeah, until until we can just, uh, you know, pay rent and good deeds or something, <laughs> that's going to be the, the problem. <laughs> Or like, yeah, or like shift our, shift our cultural mindset beyond like, like, you know, if I'm a wealthy donor or something, then it's like, like, the important thing is that the people have the money and resources to do the work, not that like, 
I get anything in return from it. I don't know. We, I feel like, and maybe this is my bias having not tra traveled much outside of um, the States is like, we have this very individualistic mentality mm -hmm. around, um, around everything. And that, mm -hmm. that extends to like, to forest and like extraction, like resource defense and like, I don't know. Absolutely. It is a, and one of the, one of the people in the, um, in the film, Marnie, uh, a member of the Weot tribe talks about this, this individualistic paradigm that, that has perpetuated that we as children of empire have because it's been mm -hmm. passed down to us. And even those of us who have been radicalized, like, just like I, I like to say that there's no way that you can ever be like 100% anti-capitalist. Like it's a daily struggle, just like you have to be anti-racist every day mm -hmm. and anti-fat. Like there is no like, got it. <laughs> now I'm done. Um, yeah. Yeah. So she talks about this, like this, and, you know, to go back to Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> the real goal of the podcast. Right. It's, it's not. but It all has to do with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, she likens it to to Gollum. Like, yeah. and if anybody listening has not read Lord of the Rings, first of all, please do so. But secondly, um, Gollum is not a character that you want to emulate. Like, that is not how you're supposed to read that. Like, oh, Gollum's cool. Like, he is literally driven to mental anguish and dismay yeah. and physical uh like like breakdown because he is so obsessed with this one ring like mm -hmm. and that is not a good thing right it's not no. something where you're like yeah go <laughs> um and loses like all his community like he's just by himself yeah and yet we have built an entire system on the paradigm of Gollum, like be by yourself, fuck community, care all only about the thing that you can own and that can thereby, of course, own you in return. It's so fucked up. And yet is that that is like the foundation of capitalism. And so, of course, when we step into uh, a forest and like I, I one of the, the lines that I have in my first film about West Virginia is how can you look at a mountain and think mine? which is of course a double entendre, like, but, uh, which I'm a sucker for those. Um, but it's like, that's what we do. We like, we've, we've been programmed into stepping into these beautiful spaces and thinking, Oh, I wonder how much this would be worth if I destroyed it. Like what kind of fucked way is that to look like, and, and, and it happens, you know, like I have a, I have a toddler and people will kind of laugh when I'm like, we, we go outside and we hug trees together and they'll laugh. <laughs> And I'm like, so that's kind of weird that you think it's funny in like a derogatory way, because wouldn't it be more fucked up if I had like a toddler axe or some shit and I was like teaching them how to destroy these things? Like, yeah. why do we have this paradigm where it's like weird to teach your kids to love nature, but totally cool to give a five-year-old a hunting rifle or something? Like, what in the hell? Like... And I'm not saying that you shouldn't hunt, but we yeah. hunt for fun. Like we don't hunt because we need food. We hunt because it's fun. Yeah. Um, and for so the it's trophy. like, right, for the trophy, which you could say is the same with the Redwood deck. It's a trophy. It's something to show yeah. off to people. You don't need it. <laughs> no. Like you could, you could stack stones and have a deck. Like you don't need the fucking Redwoods. Um, and she also make that Marnie makes this point in the film too. Like, of course, people have used wood for generations to uh, to 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 use firewood to whittle sculptures to build mm -hmm. things. And she's like, I totally get that, but you can't do it at this scale. You have to have this relationship with nature so that you only take what you need and make mm -hmm. sure that there's enough for the next time. And you see this throughout indigenous cultures um you know uh, uh, um robin wall kimmerer talks about it in braiding sweetgrass the idea that and i don't remember if it was her tribe or another one that she's talking about like would go out and get fish but then they wouldn't get all of the fish they just get the ones that they needed right and they would know that there's all these fish getting away in the in the, in the white perspective but they're not getting away. They are <laughs> they are surviving so that you can go fishing next time. And so, again, it's like this. It's a very short-sighted uh, paradigm. 
Mm-hmm. that is totally individualistic and totally destructive uh, that doesn't, and again, like Gollum is totally destroyed, but he doesn't see it himself. It's only yeah. people on the outside that are like, oh God, that guy's not uh, not doing well. <laughs> um, and yet again, like we don't, we don't see it from the inside. And so I think that that's why it's so important to, to, to to step outside of that programming and just see like the the logic or the illogic of these situations and allow ourselves to fall in love with nature and question why that sounds corny when we say it out <laughs> loud like why is it corny to fall in love with a tree or a river yeah. or what have you i mean like that is actually really beautiful and it is necessary if we are to get to the space where we can say defend what you love because if you don't love something you're less likely to defend it right like you know of course that's why parents always defend their children because you yeah. have this natural need like you love your child so much or your partner or your friend or what have you you're less likely to defend a total stranger it's just like a you know it's it's a human thing or an animal thing um and so if we don't love these places these spaces then we're less likely to be moved to defend them yeah golly so don't be like Gollum. don't hoard ultimate power and destruction be <laughs> like a hobbit and uh uh enjoy the three thousand year old party tree because it's a beautiful tree amen <laughs> <laughs> um well that's this seems like a great place to kind of tie it off and because we're also almost at time um but uh, I guess, do you have any final thoughts or questions that I didn't ask you that you wish I'd asked you or, and then any, after that, anything that you want to plug? Uh, just, I mean, it was something that I included at the end of the film. Uh, um, my good friend, Carla Bergman co-wrote a book, Joyful Militancy, which I also recommend to everyone. Oh yeah. We um, had Carla on not too, uh, not too long ago. I love Carla so much. Um, so one of the things that they talk about in that book, uh, Carla and Nick, is this idea of rigid radicalism and the need to be fluid but not flimsy. Mm-hmm. And I think that <clears throat> that's something that that's another practice that I'm trying to get more into because I think a lot of times when we have a stance or when we have a perspective, we can get stuck in it mm-hmm. um, and then we can let it weigh us down. And um, I think it's really important, no matter what fight we're fighting, to be able to be fluid because it will allow us to confront the next struggle, the next shitstorm, the next fire, whatever. Uh, but if we are too rigid, we will get caught up in the the, the flood or the flames um, and be carried away. And so I think it's important to stay fluid, but not flimsy. Um, and yeah. Um, is there are there any places that you can be found on the internet where you would like to be found or where your work can be sure. found? Um, I know we you plugged stuff at the beginning, but um, yeah, then we'll so throw stuff in the show notes. All of my work is at artkillingapathy.com. Um, you can that, that's where my films are, my music, my poetry, <clears throat> journalism. Um, the specific film to the trees is at to the trees film.com. And I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter at radical Eleanor. Wonderful. Um, and are you, are you working on anything? Got anything coming up soon that you're working on? I think I'm going to work on um, some of the footage that I got in Germany uh, as kind of like a, an addendum or a, 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 a um, compliment to my first film about uh, coal regions in West Virginia. I'm, I have footage from coal regions in Germany that I think I'm going to put into something. Sick. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, defend the party tree. Defend Fanghorn Forest. Golly, I really hope someone out there makes patches of that, you know, defend, what a sick back patch, defend the party tree, defend Fanghorn Forest. Um, (laughs) If you enjoyed this podcast, you can also just tell people about it. You can, it is the main way that people hear about the show. 
and one of the better ways to support us. Um, you could also rate and review and like and subscribe, um, you know, whatever the algorithm calls for. Feed it like a hungry god. But if you want to support us in sil other sillier ways that don't involve feeding a nameless and mysterious entity, then consider supporting the show financially. Um, you can support the show financially by supporting our publisher, Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. You can also go to tangledwilderness.org and check out some cool books that we have for sale because we are a publisher. We put out, we put out books, we put out zines, we put out podcasts, obviously. Um, and we're working on all kinds of really fun stuff. So, so go check it out and, and get, get, get a cool book. Um, we also do this like zine of the month club where for like 10 bucks a month, you can get a zine version of our monthly feature uh, mailed to you anywhere in the world. Um, you can also like listen to the feature for free on our other podcast, Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, um, where we do like interviews with the author. And that's really it. Um, we would like to have a special shout out to a few of our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Batoli. Eric, Percival, Buck, Julia, Catgut, Marm, Carson, Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, Funder, Janice and Odell, Allie, Paparuna, Milica, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, SJ, Paige, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Kirk, Chris, Micaiah, and Haas the Dog. Thank you so much, and we will see everyone next time.